Hello, and welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. As always, I am your host, Eric Sufert. My guests in this episode are Tomas Petit and Ketty Slonimsky. Thomas has appeared on this podcast multiple times. He's a well-known consultant and commentator in the mobile advertising space. And if you've ever listened to any podcast on that topic, you're probably already familiar with him. And Ketty Slonimsky is the chief growth officer at Palta, which is a health and well-being technology company that operates a number of very popular apps, including Flow, Simple, and Lenza, the app that produces generative AI avatar pictures and with which I'm sure everyone that listens to this podcast is aware. If you're not, you can see a product of Lenza on my Twitter profile. This podcast was originally intended to cover 2023 predictions in the mobile ecosystem, but we ultimately hovered over the topic of generative AI for the entire hour, or almost. I enjoyed our conversation very much as we discussed the various use cases of generative AI in not just marketing and advertising, but also with in-app personalization, onboarding, and user journeys. Advertising creative production is an obvious commercial use case for generative AI, but as we discussed in the podcast, many more use cases exist, and it'll be incredibly exciting to watch those take shape in 2023 and beyond. I'm pleased to present to you this conversation with Tomas Petit and Ketty Slonimsky. Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo podcast. I am here with returning champion Tomas Petit. I believe... This is your third or fourth time on the Mobile Dev Memo podcast, so I appreciate your <laughs> participant retention. You're giving Maur Sadra a run for the title of most uh, frequently recurring podcast guest. So thank you, Tomas, for joining. And I'm also here with Ketty Slonimsky. Nice to meet you, Ketty. I don't think we'd ever met in person before, or at least uh, visually. Well, haven't. Nice to meet you as well. Okay, it's great to have you both here. We are going to run through 2023 predictions. These are going to be broad kind of ecosystem level predictions. I just published yesterday my 2023 predictions for mobile gaming. So I don't really have any predictions to present today. My predictions can be found on the website. I'm going to let these two distinguished guests do this talking. But before we kick off into predictions, I'll just let you both introduce yourselves. Ketty, since you're new to the podcast... And since we've never met visually before, I will let you start. Hey, I'm Kitty. I'm from Tel Aviv, Israel. I'm Chief Growth Officer at Palta. Palta is a mobile network of health and fitness apps. We include such apps as Flow. Flow is a female leader in health tech. Lenza, which is in the titles and all the articles recently with um, Magic Avatars and AI, number one app in the US. Simple, which is number one fasting app, a Zing fitness AI coach, and many more. My background is uh, I started as a marketer, switched to product-led growth, and today I'm a generalist. I'm running centralized growth function for Palta, meaning we are overseeing all portfolio companies and how they grow. For us, growth doesn't mean just acquisition. For us, growth is acquisition, product-led growth, CRM and gamification. So those are three streams I'm leading. Uh, well, Katie, it's very nice to meet you. Congratulations on all the success. With Lenza, I think generative AI is going to be a topic of discussion that pops up frequently today, but also this year. So it's very nice to have you joining us for this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, and then the man who likely needs no introduction, Tomas Petit, why don't you just remind people who you are if they haven't listened to you or, or seen you recently? 
Yeah, thanks, Eric. I'm a mini Eric on the subscription side, or at least that's what I want to know to believe. Like, like Keddy, I, I started more from the acquisition side and then went broader into other growth topics and very interesting into the app ecosystem in general and it and its trend. Very focused on that, on like that huge niche, but uh, from acquisition and now a lot more on, on onboarding and monetization for for the last few years. But always very focused on subscription businesses. Great, and you are in Tenerife. Malaga? Uh, I currently live in Mallorca, but I might have news uh, in a soon future. So oh, geez. Well, this one for, for... <laughs> so we'll stay tuned. Everyone should stay, stay tuned. Yeah, stay uh, tuned. It will still be sunny, so you can visit, Eric. Okay. I prefer to visit cold climates because I live in Texas. But yeah, no, I, I've got that's on the list. So the way I wanted to format this episode was that I wanted to just sort of let the two guests present some predictions of theirs for 2023. These are, again, broad ecosystem level predictions. We can discuss those. And then I have sort of general ecosystem questions after the predictions. But to kick things off, Keddy, why don't you begin? You sort of sent your predictions over via email last night. I found them to be very interesting. I'm going to hand you the mic first and let you present your predictions. Cool. So let's start. Generative AI, the hottest brand and what this topic starting from probably end of 2022 going through the whole 2023. What I believe is going to happen, the networks that are going to invest into AI tooling for ads launch quickly and make those tools really functional will set the shift in the industry and set the new standards. The ads performance, including marginality, enter of a period of slight uplift and big new hopes as the day we see some uplifts, we start to believe it's going to last forever and probably just improve. You can think about AI, copy, and creative or performing homemade ads. At Palta recently, we've done that test. We created uh, around five copies with different AI tools. They doubled the CTR of our own creatives. You can also think about that in terms of fully loaded CAC. Think about copywriters, designers, producers, all those huge teams that, first of all, hard to hire, hard to retain, hard to find. You probably won't need all of them. So it means team will be able to deliver at 5-10x productivity. I think that also companies that are going to invest into generative AI as a key tool for product growth, think about onboarding, think about paywalls, CRM and gamification, will be delivering really uh, at a high speed, low cost and scale efficiently. This probably can be relevant for startup series B and up as series A will have engineering resources for that. We might see some shelf products for series A startups, but you know, shelf products are always shelf products. Big companies, corporates, they can either invest today or stay behind and fall behind. So it will be up to their speed and choice. This is what I believe it. Bottom line, we can see small improvements with CAG, but LTV is and will be still the name of the game. Thanks, Katie. That's, that's really great. So let me see if I can read those back and maybe we can just go through and discuss them point by point. So the first one is, Actually, that was a really fascinating data point that you shared. So you had trialed AI-produced creatives, and that led to, was it 2x conversion rates? 2x CTR on creatives. CTR. Okay, that's fascinating. So it's really interesting because 
you know, obviously you just make for the copy. Lens, yeah, just for we, the copy. What, and what do you mean by just for the copy? You mean is are these like mobile ads? Were these for like apps, app ads? No, it was like Facebook ads, and we just tried to play with the copy. We didn't try to play. Still, we create this way in process. But testing it all, it's one of our major KPIs for the next year. Testing the tools that are outside there and building our own tools. I can, I can no, second ahead. that in the sense that, like, I mean, ChatGPT is already available and I've run a couple of those tests as well on text, on copy, like for Google Ads copy in particular, because it's so accessible. I think here we're here for prediction. And the way I understand what Kelly is saying is that this simple use case of try text lift CTR very soon is on is on imagery and soon after on video. And that's right. very transformative. Yeah, but I believe the network's going to embed that to their tooling. And now, like, think seven, ten years before that. You needed a copywriter, campaign manager, something who is optimizing the campaign. Now you just need a copywriter and a creative side. Yeah, campaigns are somehow, let's say, optimizing themselves. You probably need one campaign manager. Think two years from now, you probably won't need a copywriter. You won't need a creative partner, producer, and a designer, and everyone else, right? So those networks who can launch first those tools that you can be really efficient. And if those tools were good, as they're supposed to, they're going to leave the market for some period of time till all the rest are catching up with them. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because automation has been the major theme in digital advertising probably for the last five years, right? Going back to probably predating that, but going back at least to 2016 with Facebook launching AEO campaigns, right? I remember that. I mean, that was a big moment. And I had probably two months of posts on Mobile Dev Memo where that's like all I talked about because I just it just seemed to be such a transformative development in advertising. But that was on the campaign management side, not on the asset production side, which I think is really the last aspect of digital advertising that has not been taken over by automation. Obviously, there's a lot of tools that exist to help automate creative production, but you still need the core underlying assets, right? So just kind of as an aside, maybe most creative production automation now is really just a function of taking like one asset or kind of a bunch of different inputs and then pairing them together in unique ways, right? So just creating unique combinations, but having one pool of assets, right? So I built something like this at the last company I was working at where we would just feed it. We had a tool that I built called Draper and we fed it a bunch of video clips and end cards and it would just stitch them together in unique ways, but it wasn't actually creating new content. It was just taking the existing assets, the existing art assets and pairing them together. And I think that the last kind of piece of campaign management and just digital advertising more broadly that has yet to actually be taken over by automation is the actual production of the underlying art, which it seems like, Keddy, you think that's definitely achievable now or in the very near term. I tend to hope that major players are working on that as we speak. And now remember the hopes, remember those days with automation of campaign, triple A, whatever, right? Right. There were also big hopes in the industry. Now we're going to scale. Now that's going to work. This is probably what's going to happen nowadays. 
But, you know, the trend is always like there is hope, there is some lift, which is not right. equal to the size of the hope. And then it becomes like a mass market. So it declines. I don't believe in long term we'll see any CAC decrease. Not going to happen. By the way, I'm very curious to see how Q5 is going for you. But what we see in our group, CPMs are not declining. Yeah. I'm not sure they're going to decline ever. That's why I mentioned LTV is the right. name of the game. Right, right. And then and to your point, you mentioned this. You know, there's going to be a first mover advantage for the networks that internalize these tools. But ultimately, this will all normalize. Of course. Yeah. As a, right. the whole industry, it always as, normalizes. As, yeah, as everything does. Okay, that's super interesting. I want to touch on your point about needing fewer copywriters and the team just being more productive. I think this is a really fascinating use case. So to my mind, and I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, to my mind, advertising is probably like the most obvious commercial use case for generative AI, right? And one of the big bottlenecks, one of the major bottlenecks for any scaled advertiser is finding people that have experience in copywriting for digital ads, right? And that's a very different skill set. I have a friend who works at like a like a traditional marketing, like an advertising agency, like a madman, a madman style agency, right? It's actually one of the big names that existed in Madman. And you know, he's shown me some of his work, and it's like taglines that are really clever, right? That go in magazine ads. And I was like, that's great. You know, how many people did it take to make this? And he's, you know, like a team of like 10 people or something, right? And it's like, well, that was, that's just one, this is one variant, right? Where, you know, where are the other hundred or, or whatever? And, you know, his response is, look, we, we make a couple of these. We're like artisans and, you know, we'll present them. And, it, and he was walking me through the process of how they actually present this to, to these big brand clients. And it really hasn't changed from, I think, what is depicted in Mad Men. And that just, that's not the way we work in digital, right? In digital, all of this stuff has to be sort of procedural. We need very many variants. We test them for deterministic feedback, and then we, we run with the winner. And it's actually really difficult to do that at scale. When you start to scale the sort of campaign spend, you actually just need, you do need a lot of people because you need the people that are, you know, writing the copy, but also dreaming up the visuals, right? Dreaming, like, what is the narrative that we're depicting in the image or in the video and, and coming up with concepts and con coming up with a concept from like zero is actually like not easy. If you just sit down and, and say, okay, if you, my, my task in the next hour is to brainstorm 10 concepts for a 30 second or a 15 second video ad for an app, that's not easy. And, and, and in a way that is realistically, you know, possible to create, right? You could come up with some like live video concept, but you're not going to spend 200 grand to, to record that, right? To make that. And so it's actually very difficult to do. And there aren't that many people that have a lot of experience in doing that. And so once you scale to a certain point, one of the bigger constraints that you find is people to produce these concepts to just think up, even just think up the concepts, let alone produce them, right? To create them. And so I, I do agree with you, Katie. I think this just fills a labor gap. It's not like this necessarily replaces people. This fills the gap that exists because there aren't enough people to do this work. D does that resonate? Do you, do you both agree with that? I would just add to your pain points. And I feel that pain all the years. It's really hard to find 
good copywriters, product growth leaders, and great designers. This is what I mostly struggle like for six years in a row. But my biggest pain point will be another one. We are in Europe. We market to US. So in addition to everything you said, I need also someone who is native English and understands, lives and breathes US market. That's why I prefer a tool as opposed to finding that one. Yeah, that's a great point. There's also a, a parallel when you, when you look at like the madman process of creation. It's very much so after researching consumers and and coming with hypotheses, and then you you bring those USPs. But what we see in digital is that there's a randomness in the winners, in the creative winners. That sometimes I think Eric, you you wrote a, a great piece about that about that we focus too much on understanding why that particular creative is winning. And we completely fail at it. Like we miserably fail at understanding the why is this creative winning. And I think this is where using AI for, for this is really unleashing like a lot of potential because we don't have like this kind of human bias of we think we know why it's going to win. And although we failed for years at this, we keep doing it. And this is where I think it's going to really blow our mind about what we can actually show to people to interest them to our product. The same way that an AI chess doesn't play at all like a human, the AI right. creatives that are not going to be an enhanced version of what we do. They're going to be a completely different version. And that's why it's so it's so game-changing. Yeah. yeah. I know a couple of companies that are stuck with the same creatives for years. As these concepts work, we don't understand why nothing else works. So it's like iteration number 3 million, 55, or the same ad, yeah. Yeah, and no, I mean, it's that's actually exacerbated by the fact that you go on Sensor Tower, you go on Facebook Ads Library, and if you see a competitor take off, then you just immediately copy their ads. And one thing I worry about with generative AI for ads creation, I didn't get into this in the piece I wrote a couple of weeks ago because I thought it was like a topic on its own, but that could just make it much faster to copy a competitor's ads. And not only is it faster, but it's it, it also you you remove all human inputs to it, right? So if you just could procedurally download the ads that your competitors are running, that they've been running for, let's say, a week, right? So that are proven kind of winners because they've been running for a while. Feed them into a generative AI model. And then in an automated way, in a procedural way, immediately flight them, flight the output. That probably reduces that time between company A launches an ad that is performant and company B copies it. I wonder if... Now, the issue with that is it could work. There's contextual relevance, right? So the, the copy of companies A, company A's ad might just might not work for company B. There's also like saturation effects. So if you've saturated that ad, then you don't really want to copy it. But by the time you know it's performant, by the time you know it's a successful ad, you might not want to copy it because it's sort of been saturated. But it might also just create this arms race where people are just flighting ads all the time because they know as soon as one is successful, it's going to get copied. And and there's this weird sort of like cyclical, like tornado of just ads being launched and copied by competitors. And then you get into some sort of like weird feedback loop that just breaks the logic, right? It's kind of like when you see on Amazon... You know, they've got automated pricing, right? It's, the pricing is driven by an algorithm. And, and every once in a while, you know, you'll see a book that was priced at like $10,000. It's because the algorithm broke. Too many people were buying it or something. 
And I wonder if you get to such short feedback times, such short turnover times between me launching an ad that was generated by generative AI, my competitor copying it using generative AI, me copying that ad that was generated by my competitor by generative AI, them copying that ad where the, you know you get into this weird loop where every ad looks kind of the same. And, and, and I, anyway, I guess that remains to be seen whether that happens. And I, I do think there's a minimum amount of time you'd at least want to wait before copying just to ensure that the variant was like a good one, right? A performant one. But, but nonetheless, I do kind of worry about that effect, right? Like what if that's the outcome? It's just every ad looks the same because copies are made instantaneously and flighted. Unless you're, you're very good at prompts, so you're going to ask your generative AI please create a different ad from that competitor's ad that's going to overperform that ad and see. We mentioned some profession that might be a, not, not replaced, but like a lower in importance. But uh, I think AI prompter is, is a fantastic skill to, to develop. We're, we're just at the beginning of it. And I see myself when I'm prompting stuff and it's so basic. And then I look at somebody who's been doing that for, for six or 12 months and they have a way of doing it that is so much smarter. And that's a real skill that is worth developing. But sometimes it's going to be a prompt. Sometimes it's going to be a copying another ad. I think there are lots of input that can be fed into this model. Could be what is trending on TikTok, but it's not an ad. And, and eventually you're feeding it with like a bunch of different uh, signals that are competitors add and what had worked in the past and some trends from there and some prompt. And it's just going to be this, this kind of soup mix up that ends up with a ton of, of different, let's say, outputs that will make that we're not going to see all the same ads. It's, it's going to just going to be faster to see renewal there. Interesting to see developed in any case. Actually, one kind of a, a side note. What do you both think? Is there, in 2023, are you hiring people to do, I don't want to say prompt engineering because I think that sounds silly, but are you are you hiring people with the sole you know, job uh, function of, generative AI? Is that is that a job that exists in 2023? Someone whose soul, whose time is exclusively spent, whose sole purpose at the company is to use generative AI? Is that is that a job that exists in 2023 or no? Probably towards the end of the year, but I believe hiring open-minded, smart people that can learn that as uh, not sure you're going to have many of those prompters in the market. So I believe in training really smart people. Maybe ex-engineers that not going to have work as an AI going to write a call for them, want to become <laughs> prompters or something, or yeah. ex-copywriter. No, I'm just kidding. But absolutely, probably in a couple of years, we'll see something like that, but uh, in a very different shape as those are just, you know, early beginnings of this new age. So probably going to look different and our whole conversation going to sound very funny in three right. years time. Probably. Yeah. I tend to agree on that. I, think, I don't think we're going to find these people like this year. And I'd rather tell all my team, like train yourself on this, like try it. And I guess a couple of individuals are going to emerge that they're just better at this game and we will spend their, their skill on this because they are just better than others. But for me, the message rather than, oh, hire a prompter is, hey, from now on, everybody becomes a prompter and let's see, let's see what comes out. Yeah, I agree on that. Okay, and then what, I wanted to touch on one more of your points, Keddy, and then we'll, we'll jump into Thomas's predictions. So you talked about more flexibility in onboarding that you feel like is probably a Series A plus functional unlock. 
and probably less realistic for earlier stage startups. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Because that was one of my predictions in my piece was that personalization is going to kind of take front stage, especially for mobile gaming. But I mean, that could apply to any app or any any product, really. Yeah. The personalization process and, and just having enough content to actually personalize. Can you just talk to me about that a little bit? Like, could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, of course, this is something not new, right? We've been talking about personalization probably for the last 10 years, but never became uh, really AI-focused as of today. I can tell you that we are hiring an AI team for Palta to unpack those and to see how we can engineer those journeys and if it can really become a part of our technology. So talking about onboarding, of course, personalization, yes. By answering like, you know, one, two, three questions, if we can personalize the whole journey in the app, starting from tone of voice and, you know, going the whole way through when to show the paywall, if should I show you the paywall, what price, what packaging, everything. This is like the big dream. If it's going to come through in 2023 as a whole, not sure. Probably it's going to take another couple of years and plus another couple of years to become mass market. But again, we're talking here about leaders that come in place first, but partially, yes. So for example, we're going to try a lot with paywalls, like first just generating with AI 100 paywalls and see what works and then trying to personalize that a lot. Like, you know, one of the biggest uh, questions in the web onboarding with cold audiences is, should I even be showing the paywall? Yes or no? So that kind of stuff before entering personalized pricing and packaging and all that stuff. This is super hard to build without AI. We tried a couple of stuff, but it's really tough. So we want to try it with AI. And as I mentioned, not each company can really invest into that. So you need to have big engineering team that can deal with that and not just with a product. At Palta, since we have like portfolio companies that their engineering teams are dealing with the products and Palta can dedicate resources for all those AI stuff, we call it Palta Brain, analytics and everything around. So we have a privilege to test that. I believe big groups could invest into that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's amazing that you have that configuration that seems really valuable and yes you're totally right bringing these technologies to bear is not cheap and a four-person startup can't do it they just can't there's no way yeah. 30 people startup can't do it 30 person start 40 person startup yeah so like you can't be a startup i, I don't think it, it probably because the thing is one of the issues i see when companies pitch me they have a very concrete idea for a product, right? I invest at the pre-seed stage, so there's no product yet. It's just an idea. And then they have an equally innovative and exciting idea around automating production of content or automating user acquisition or whatever. And I will tell them, you can't do both of these things. Look at the odds. It's going to be almost impossible. It'll be reality-defying. It'll be probability-defying if your product is successful. So given those odds, do you really want to burden yourself with innovating in some other sort of like ancillary area of publishing? It's just impossible. You won't be able to do that. You won't be able to focus on both of those things, right? And that's just the dilemma of the startup, right? And like, that's the magic of succeeding. It's, hey, wow, the odds were basically 
zero that this will succeed, yet I did it anyway. I somehow jumped that gap. And that somehow is usually a mix of like good timing, like sort of preternatural ability to just push through when everything looks like it's not going to work out, like insane work ethic and like just filling a need in, in, in a very specific moment in time. And it's, it's usually not because you innovated around publishing, <laughs> right? Like, I don't think I've ever seen that be the case. It's really beneficial to have that kind of central tech team that can service these, the products sort of orgs. And I think that's just what it's, that's what success here is probably going to look like. I think though, it's, it's really interesting because my kind of thesis around personalization has been very much tied to ATT, right? So if Facebook's ad platform, Google's ad platform, and Tomas, you'll probably disagree with me here, but it was a personalization engine. It just did it at the advertising, you know, level. It did it at the advertising layer. And then it pushed these users who are determined to be very sort of relevant for the product or the other way around. It pushed users for whom the product was very relevant into the product, right? Well, now you don't get that because of ATT. And so what do you have to do? You get this blob of users coming in and you have to determine which ones are the right ones for the product and like hyper-serve them. Or you have to give every single user kind of a very personalized experience that makes it relevant for them. And well, how do you do that if you have to create all the content by hand? If you have 50 different sort of personas or 50 different ways in which a very broad group of users could interact commercially with a product and in, in a way that monetizes them, there's no way to do that by hand. There's no way to create those 50 different or 500 different or 5,000 different product paths. The only way to do that would be some sort of procedural content generation and probably with a generative AI tool. And I think, um, Kedi, it's a really interesting insight there that that's probably the best way to onboard people is just to sort of hyper-personalize that whole flow to get them to the point where you've given them so many different options. They've told you what they want in the product. And then you sort of generatively produce that product for them. This is what a human being only can do for now. Like I think you enter any, I don't know, salon or whatever, and you meet a, sell, a great salesperson that is from your tone, from your questions, from everything, understands perfectly what he's dealing with, when to ask what to talk to you, when to right. offer you a coffee, or when to offer you a pebble, basically. So this is where you want to get. Right. And it's funny, you know, if, if you know, you go into like a high-end store in like um, Mayfair or whatever in London, those salespeople make a lot of money, right? Yeah, because they have a very, very well-defined and unique skill set and high demand skill set. They can lead you into a sale in a way that, you know, you think about retail sales, it's like, okay, the you know, can I get you anything? They're like, oh, can you find these shoes for me in a size 12? Like, ah, oh, the guy's like, I don't know. I don't think we have, like, that's a very different sort of class of salesperson than the ones you see in like those super high-end stores. And that's because they've been trained to know, to like sort of guide you into the right product to, to sort of connect you with the product that best resonates and that that is, is sort of like the most desired. And that's what, and I think that's a great sort of metaphor, Keddy, is like, that's what these systems should do. Yeah. That's what we all should do probably for sure. five years already, but we are still not there, especially when we think now of mixing different monetization systems. We all understand that subscriptions are not enough, so we should probably should upsell, we should cross-sell. Right. Do it smart, as if you cross-sell something on top of subscription, which is really not useful and not at the right time, your chances are so low. And as I mentioned, LTV is the name of the game, so it should be very, very, very 
precise there. And we still all focus and put lots of our attention to user acquisition. Even look at our conversation. Just now we touched a bit on LTV, but we were talking about user acquisition. I don't think this is something where you're going to win. You can just win on the different side of the acquisition. Yeah. That's it. Tomas, I shall pass the mic to you and uh, I eagerly await your predictions. It's a very tricky business uh, for me to take over after Katie was so forward looking. And uh, I guess he was looking already beyond 2023 and mine are a little bit uh, more down to the ground. But uh, I'm going to bounce a, a few that, that are related to some topics that we talked before. One on the creative side is, is not only that that's going to be AI generated and so on. Like what, One of my predictions is that we're going to see a lot more experience pre-store like kind of, it's not going to be just a video or just an image before the store. And I was reading Matej saying like, uh, it's going to be the comeback of the, of the playables. And I'm not saying just the playable format, but uh, I think it's in the platform interest to have more interaction before the click is sent out blindly because of ATT. And so TikTok has done this. I don't know. I remember how they call it, like product pages or whatever, like the kind of mini experience that are between the feed and the store. And I think we're going to see a lot more than that on various platforms. Some will take form of playable. Some will take form of like mini landing page and so on. And I think they're going to become a lot more complex. For a number of reasons, but one is that it gives more signal to the platform to actually understand if, right. if that user is interested or not. And it kind of pre-qualifies as well. I'm, a, I'm seeing, and, and maybe it's me because I'm failing, but I'm seeing like de declining install rate. And because the store is such a bottleneck where you're churning a high percentage of users who don't even come to the product, like having this pre-experience can help a little bit fight this uh, bottleneck. So that's one on creative. I'm going to jump to one that was not the, the necessarily the biggest one that, that you also mentioned in your post. I think you put it something like m and is the new acquisition tactic or something, like instead of pouring money into Facebook and Google, that acquiring app becomes a more common way to grow and then build a portfolio and so on. And I think it, it bounced really well with something Kelly mentioned before that if you're small, you're not going to be able to tap on these new opportunities. As the app store economy is maturing, it's going to be survival of the biggest now. Like it's going to be harder and harder mm. to be an indie and actually fight with the bigger ones. Like it had been possible for, for a few years. And I can see how, like we've seen it a lot in gaming, where a lot of a lot of companies would have like a, a big portfolio of, of apps. And it's less common in non-gaming, even though there's a number of examples. And I mean, Palta has a big portfolio, but uh, thinking about companies like uh, smaller companies, even like Reflectly or Air Apps or so on, you see yeah. companies launching, a lot of companies, they were one app company. Like, uh, and then right. they start looking at not limiting themselves this way, Duolingo expanding, not within the app to math and kids and whatnot, but actually with other apps. And I think we're going to see a lot more than uh, of that. Because it's a way to diversify from just the usual acquisition and because it enables to get bigger and to have like kind of synergies between these different apps and some functions. I mean, it's just almost the same effort to do it for one app than it is for, for 10 apps and for a lot of bigger group that, that might make a, a lot of sense. I think it, it's kind of like, it's late to say that, but uh, it's kind of as usual. The non-gaming is catching up on what gaming I've been doing for years. And I think this is... is might become very big. Did you see that? I think it was yesterday. Bending Spoons acquired Evernote. Yeah, that was a month ago, but yeah. Oh, it was a yeah. month ago. Okay. But it's like, uh, you know, the old guard is being subsumed into the new guard. I mean, Bending Spoons is another one of those utility app 
portfolio companies? Yeah, they have a big portfolio and uh, I was competing with them five years ago. So I kind of know well, they were really good at, at execution, but it's crazy. If you had told somebody five years ago that Penning Spoon would acquire Evernote, people would have laughed at you. You know, it was the, right. the simple idea of it was ridiculous. That, that's really interesting to see, like uh, extremely, I, I'm curious what they're going to do with Evernote and how it matches with the rest of the portfolio. But uh, that's, I guess, we'll see over time. I think many of them and many of those strategies are, let's acquire, and then we're going to figure it out. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I imagine Evernote was not very expensive. I mean, that that was kind of like a zombie company. It, they also, that was kind of like in a frenzy era too, when they launched, because I think they raised some insane amount of money. Insane. Oh, you mean Evernote? Yes, Evernote. Yeah. yeah. It was a, a note-taking app. <laughs> they raised $290 million. And they did a bunch of acquisition. Like I imagine they they got acquired for less than a tenth of that. But I think it was a famous founder, right? I think it was Phil Libin was the founder of uh, Evernote. It was a famous founder, and the idea was, yeah, it was Phil Libin, famous founder. They had this idea of creating this mega app or like a super app, and it's that just wasn't the strategy. That to your point, Thomas, it wasn't the strategy that took root. The strategy that took root was to build a portfolio of utility apps, not to build one big mega utility app. Anyway, they just kind of, they didn't execute very well. They executed incredibly poorly, actually. But uh, And then to your other point, it was uh, TikTok Jump was that dynamic products page thing where it was basically like a mini app. It was like an HTML5 app within TikTok. So you clicked on it, it had an overlay, you could interact. But I'm reading that they just discontinued that last month. Yeah, I heard about that, but I think it was like one of those, we're here for prediction. And I I know when I said it, that they have discontinued this. And Facebook also had a, a different product that they haven't insisted on. I see those as early, early attempts of going there. And yeah. I think they will be coming back in another format. This is my prediction. Not that this is the product that in 2023 is going to boom, but rather that the pre-store experience is going to be something we're going to see a lot more. I don't know why they're discontinuing it. I don't know if they have a plan to bring something different that replace it, but I do believe that it is in their interest and in some case might be in the publisher interest as well. And it's something that the platforms, and by platform, I mean I mean Apple and Google here, can't like avoid or control and, and giving back a, like, so, so in the, network ad network and publisher relationship is something that you don't depend on the platform on to to execute so i, I was surprised that they discontinued this product i see it as first attempt more of them are coming that would be my take yeah no i sorry i wasn't uh disagreeing with you or, or criticizing oh, you yet no problem no, well i i know i can but I, I just it was bothering me that i couldn't remember the name of the product so i just looked it up and i remembered there was a company whisk that was like the use case that they showed when they were introducing the product. So I looked up Whisk TikTok and they were they had a, a page announcing that they had yep. shut that down. Okay. I've seen uh, this, for example, I'll give you just one iteration where I'm seeing this. I work with Kids App, which is like kind of a tricky business when the kid plays but cannot necessarily install an app. And where we're seeing pioneers of that, where there is more of a playable experience before, just because sure. you need to convince the kid before you get to the store. If you just strain, send that click to the app store, you're dead, the install rate is going to be miserable just because right. the person that is on the device can actually not technically install the app in a number of cases. And I'm seeing a few of those. I think it's very niche, but I do believe we're going to see more of them in, in, other, in other forms and verticals. There, I had an experience where a company I worked at wanted to get into game streaming. 
right? And the argument was, if we just the faster we can get a user into the game, the higher the retention will be, the higher the conversion will be. We're losing a lot of money because people can't get into games quickly. They have to download them. So it should be like one click to stream and they just stream it and then we'll download it in the background. And and I think that just wasn't borne out in the data that the abandon rates were high because of the install. I mean, there was some abandonment rate, but it was that wasn't the majority of it or that that wasn't like it wasn't even meaningful. I mean, it was like low single digits. It was really just getting people to click in the first place and then getting people to click from the product page. Right. So you've got those two hops. And, you know, if you stream it, you still have to do both of those things. Right. And so it didn't really make any sense. And it was just a really expensive undertaking. And it ended up being kind of killed after a couple of years. But after I think tens of millions of dollars were invested into it. So, yeah, my sense is you achieve that with personalization. Right. If you've gotten a person into the install, you have to do everything you can to serve them in a bespoke way that keeps them there because you don't know who they are anymore. You don't know anything about them. You had a, a basically you, you used to have like a dossier on them. Well, you didn't, but Facebook did. And now you don't. They are totally anonymous to you. And so you've got to determine all of their interests quickly and then serve them with those interests. And that's, I think, Katie's point about the onboarding. It's like, if you can do that procedurally and not even necessarily procedurally, but basically probabilistically with generative AI and create an experience that's totally unique to them, not that's been curated for a group of people that looks like them, but that is totally unique to them. That's a really powerful conversion tool. Yeah, I agree. I had one of those on my list, but it felt ridiculous because I didn't see how it was going to be fully generated already. I think this is a, a little bit for later. But that right now, I mean, the, the personalization or onboarding is such a joke. Like most of the apps, they're like asking you a gazillion questions so they personalize your plan. But you would do the onboarding three times with a completely different answer and still serve the exact same shit. Uh, right, which exactly. Is, I mean, it works from an intent point of view. I understand why people are doing it. And like Katie said, for 10 years, we said we would personalize, but maybe now there's no more choice just because yeah. acquisition is broader and because we faked it for a long time. Now we're going to have to deliver a little bit on that. I think it also related to like what we said of like uh, maybe having various USPs and maybe you've got several apps and and at the onboarding, you can understand like, okay, there's going to be a very high intent for that particular product that I also have and send them earlier there. So do I see it? We've got a lot of exploration to do manually, like humanly, but at the point that we are technically able to automate that through through AI, of course, it's gonna be it's gonna be mind blowing. I think that's gonna take a little longer than. I mean, this is very forward looking, in my opinion, to get there. Uh, we've we've got a couple of years of being busy on the onboarding before this comes. Yeah. Going to just touch on a couple of points that you mentioned sure. in your prediction. I think MA, very strong tool. We're going to see those in 2023. Those who still have money or who are going to raise money in 2023 is not everyone can afford to themselves. But if it's stronger than user acquisition on Facebook, probably yes, for some companies, I can tell you that it's probably different, definitely looking to that and again if not this year then next year but we're considering that as something not really something that like on our list number one heart no it's like a top thing and then regarding the markets consolidations yes again the market gonna fix itself so think about food delivery right tons of companies and now we see where we're gonna get 
I believe same gonna happen in the apps market. This category, gaming category, in other categories, and for the new players, the end bar is super high. It's like really high to enter. Talking about generative AI, think about like onboarding and paywalls without generative AI. Yeah, it's like becoming crazy, really. Unless you have, I don't know, brand back or terrific money behind you, very tough to succeed now. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. the apps will have an IP, which is more common in game, but it does happen like in non-gaming. Obviously, are a bit of an exception, but but I agree, and I think it's a normal movement of. Uh, it started being the far west, and then we had, we had a good run of fun, and now things are getting serious. Some people are saying. Oh yeah, the growth of the app store is decreasing. Yeah, that's normal at that at that scale. And and we're really living the age of maturity here. So it does make a lot of sense that this is when people concentrate and this is the survival of the biggest as well. It's kind of a natural movement. And again, like happened a little bit earlier in gaming that it is in non-gaming. Uh, I see how we did reach uh, that point now. I mean, it all fits pretty much. But then who's going to have the money to do that is an interesting question. Uh, we're talking about how, how Bending Spoon uh, bought Evernote. I also believe they bought it cheap, but six months ago, they, uh, Bending Spoon, they raised a massive amount of money, like, I don't know, 300 million or 500, like it was a ridiculous amount. When I know that they didn't need it to operate their portfolio. So if they raised that, that was pretty clear that the strategy no. was they're going to go grow through acquisition. They probably raised that at a decent time because uh, the environment was not as bad as it is right now to, to get that money. But also this year, like a lot of apps are going to be much cheaper to acquire. Like I personally know yeah. and work with a lot of apps that were operating at the very border of, of profitability. Like right. they were never going to make a ton of business and a ton of profit. And a lot of them, they're going to be up for grabs. And there, there are lots of them that have audiences. They have uh, really good talent. They've built kind of a brand in their vertical. And I think this year they're going to be cheap. So whoever still has some cash to spare is going to have a ton of fun, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah there are uh, players that are desperate to be acquired, I'm sure. Oh, that, yeah, that's I mean, what I was trying to say in a nice way, Kitty. It's going to be a feeding frenzy this year, I think. But it was $340 million in September, which was like the perfect time to raise money. Yeah. I wasn't that um, far with the amount then. Good. Yeah, no, that was close. All right, Tomas, Kenny, I, I really appreciate your time today. Do you want to quickly just kind of share how do people discover you, get in touch with you, consume your content? How do people find you on the internet? Well, pretty easy to find, I guess. Uh, I, I'm going to show up on the feed uh, here or there. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Mobile Dev Memo are a good place for, to, to meet me. I'm under Thomas BCN. I'm very approachable, so feel free to, to DM me. I'm not such a public person, so you can find me always on LinkedIn. I'm very responsive. Apart from working with Pulp, I'm working with founders, helping Series A, Series B startups uh, with some advising. So always feel free. Okay. Thank you so much. And uh, Happy New Year to you. And good luck in the AI-dominated future. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having us. 